uh, that they all may be one, Father, as you and me are one, that they may be one in us. We understand that. But it's important also, very, very important, as we begin a new year together, that we understand the concept of personal, being personal. The religion of Jesus is above everything else, personal. So I want us to move along and consider some thoughts that will help us with this. The first thought is having a personal interest in other people. The first thought is this, having personal interest, having a personal interest in other people. You can't read about Jesus without thinking about this. For example, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Jesus healed a leper man. In Matthew 8, beginning in verse 5, Jesus taught this to the centurion and healed that man's servant. In Matthew chapter 9, along about verse 9, Jesus calls Matthew personally. These are one-on-one encounters. He calls Matthew personally to, to service. Along about Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, Jesus meets a ruler, a certain ruler, and his daughter had died, and Jesus will bring that daughter back to life. In that same chapter, there's a lady that will come up to Jesus who, who has a problem, an issue of blood, it says, and he heals her instantly. In Matthew 14, you remember Jesus walks on water, and he has a conversation out there on that water personally with Peter. With Peter. In Matthew 15, about verse 21-22, Jesus encounters a Canaanite woman and her daughter has been severely vexed with a demon and he talks with her and he eventually says to her, O woman, great is your faith. Matthew 15. Matthew 18, first few verses, Jesus calls one child into the midst of the disciples and teaches them the lesson of humility with that one child. Little child. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, Jesus has a personal encounter with the rich young ruler and challenges him and his possessions. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus encounters a widow from the city of Nain, and that widow had lost her only son, and Jesus brings that son back to life. Look at that personal encounter. In Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50, Jesus is in a man's home by the name of Simon. We refer to him as Simon the Pharisee. And a, a sinful woman comes in and washes Jesus' feet with the tear, her tears and wipes them with her hair. Look at that personal encounter, encounter Jesus has first with Simon the Pharisee, but also this sinful woman who comes in in gratitude to Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, you remember Jesus has a personal encounter with Zacchaeus. You remember in Luke chapter 23 and 43, Jesus on the cross, he has a personal conversation and encounter with that repentant, penitent thief on the cross. When you come to John, you see several personal encounters. John 3, of course, with Nicodemus. John 4, personal encounter Jesus has with the woman of Samaria at Jacob's well. 
Down in John 4, 46, Jesus has a personal encounter with an official, with an official and he eventually goes and brings great blessing to the home of that official. In John 5, Jesus heals a man who is lame. In John 8, a woman is brought to Jesus who had been caught in a very act of adultery, and he has a personal encounter with that lady caught in a very act of adultery. In John 9, Jesus heals a blind man. John 10, it says, Jesus calls his own sheep by name. John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus uh, from the dead. In John chapter 18, Jesus has a personal conversation and encounter with Pilate. John chapter 20, Jesus has a personal conversation after he's been raised from the dead with Mary Magdalene. Before Jesus goes back to be with his father on the throne up above at his right hand, Jesus takes Peter aside, John 21 beginning in verse 15, and he asks Peter, you know, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? This is just a few samples of the fact that Jesus is a very personal Savior. He's a risen Savior, but He was very personal in His life toward others. He took a personal interest in other people. In fact, just I, I didn't list all of them, all the personal accounts, but just take that list that we just went through, and you just suppose you subtracted that from all the other, all the gospel accounts, what would you have left? What would you have left? You'd have just a, a fragment of the gospel accounts left because Jesus did so much of his work one-on-one, face-to-face with people. And we didn't even mention the times when Jesus often was speaking to maybe two disciples or three disciples or one family here, another family here. Jesus was very personal and very personal interest in people. When we do not have a personal interest bad things happen. For example, when we do not have personal interest, then sin is at the door. Sin is at the door. I was listening to an interview and I'm on the radio with a lady by the name of Abby Johnson. And I believe that there's a new movie out based on primarily on her experiences, and the movie is called Unplanned. Abby Johnson used to work for Planned Parenthood. I believe it was James Dobson who was interviewing her on on his radio show. She has put all that behind her. Now she works, you know, with a great deal of energy on the other side against Planned Parenthood against abortion, against Planned Parenthood, and for life in the mother's womb. So he was talking to her in an interview, asking, you know, how she come to have such a change. And it was basically the improved technology, and finally she looked at a sonogram, and it just hit her hard, and she said to herself, what am I doing? And she made a turn in her life. But then he asked her this question, which really got my attention. He said, because she worked for Planned Parenthood, she worked in clinics that performed abortions. 
for many, many years. He said, how, can you, how could you do that and not really understand what you were doing? And she, she answered really fast. She said, first of all, you really never make eye contact with the person who's coming in to have the abortion. You just don't make eye, eye. She said, we never made eye contact. We simply handed them the forms they needed to fill out. And then we ushered them to another room. And then she said, when you're doing the abortion, the face of the person receiving the abortion never was in view. There was always a sheet or always a curtain between what the doctor and his assistant was doing and the face of the person who was having it done to them. She said it was never personal. None of us would ever dream of working in such a clinic. But still, if we do not have a personal interest, then sin can be at the door. That's how evil people do their evil. That's how evil men do their evil. It's a job to them. It's not personal. They don't think about the people they're harming. They don't think about the person involved. It just, in their mind, it becomes a job, it's a business, and it's not personal. Same thing can happen to us. Same thing can happen to Christians. James writes in James 4.17, To him who knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. The more we have a personal interest in people's lives, then the more we're going to see that we need to do. But the more distance we put between us and others, then the less we're going to see that we need to do, and then we are leaving off things we need to do, and for us that becomes sin. I don't think I have to explain that again. And so without personal interest, sin is at the door. Also, without personal interest, we become very stiff. We become a shell of a person. A form, if you will. As Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy 3, 5-7, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Part of that power, of course, is having the gospel live in your life, but also part of that power is having a personal interest with that gospel. Without a personal interest, we become stiff. Stiff. And this even comes out in our communication. We can be stiff in our communication. Of the very sacred things, very good things we want to do, we can become stiff in our communication. Like some, some folks might write a letter like this to, to someone who has, who has visited church. Somebody might write a letter like this. They might say, um, we uh, gratefully acknowledge your presence at church last Sunday and we cordially invite you to be part of our service as services at every opportunity you have. There's nothing terrible about that, but who talks that way? Who ta- Try that on your wife. Can you, uh, let's, Ken is such a target. He and Larry Little are a good target. Let's just try that on our wife. So Ken's going to write a note to his wife. And he says... Dear wife of mine, I gratefully acknowledge your presence 
in my life and in our house. And I gratefully acknowledge all the things you do for us. And I cordially invite you to continue those things (laughs) as we continue our life together. Sincerely, your husband. We don't talk that way. We don't need to be that way at church. We don't need to be that way as we're shining our lights for Christ. Then we be personal. Personal. About personal interest, then we become something of just a suit. We're just a mud pie with a tie. We're not a person. Without personal interest, we're not making a real impact. We're, we're, just, we're just shouting instructions across a crowded, noisy room. Now, as we were going through that list of Jesus' personal encounters, we need to mention John 13. When Jesus was in that upper room with His disciples, very close now in the shadow of the cross, and they're going to observe the Passover meal. And you know what Jesus did. He washed the disciples' feet. There's disturbance among the disciples. They're, they're thinking about, okay, who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? I mean, he's doing all this, he's doing all this miraculous stuff. He's, he's, he's got crowds following him. The kingdom is going to be something else. Which of us is going to be the greatest in his kingdom? And Jesus comes in. Now, notice what he did not do. Okay. Jesus did not come into that room and stand in front and say, Fellows, I have noticed there's some misplaced affections among you and we need to think about this. Let's really think about it now as we go and eat this supper. He didn't do that. But rather, one by one, one by one, he washed their feet. He just didn't stand up and say, hey, you need to, you need to consider being service to one another and you need to understand what the kingdom kingdom is really about. No, he made a real impact. He went one by one. And when it was necessary, like Peter, he did some explaining one on one. See, washing the feet had to do with hospitality. It was common hospitality that when you come into a place that you offer to wash your guests' feet. But none of them, they were in this room, and there there was water there, there was a towel there, but none of them wanted to be known as foot washers. None of them had bothered to wash, to, to stand up and say, well, I'll do the washing today. I'll do the washing on this occasion. None of them had bothered. They didn't want to be known as foot washers. They wanted to be known as advisors. They wanted to be known, be known as the decision makers. They wanted to be right there at the right hand of Jesus in His kingdom. And they didn't have a clue yet what Jesus' kingdom was all about. And so, first thought, personal interest. Personal interest. Our second thought this morning is creating a personal approach in life, a personal philosophy, personal approach. There are characteristics that we have to have to have this personal approach. And this is, this is nothing new and nothing you're going to disagree with, but we need to review these. If we're going to be personal 
we have to view our, our relationship, we have to view what we do for Christ as a calling and not a duty. We have to view this as a calling. What we do in a service to Christ is a calling. It's a calling, not just a duty. Ephesians 4 verse 1, the instruction there is to walk worthily, walk worthy of the calling wherewith you were called. Walk worthy of that calling. It's a calling. I know that there, there's lists that we do and we try to get things done, but, but all in all, we need to view it as a calling. God had, it has expressed His love to us through Christ. It, it's the greatest thought, it's, it's the greatest knowledge that we'll ever have, the love of God through Christ to us. And in response to that then, we want to serve Him. That's That's a calling. That's a calling. If we are just trying to check off a list to try to consider ourselves okay with God and then move on to the things we really want to do, then we will never be personal. Also, this characteristic. We must be intimately sincere, very sincere. Very sincere. Jesus worked with the Pharisees in his day and the scribes in his day. And they were all about appearances. Matthew 6 we read they, they, they loved to stand in the corners of the street and speak so they could be heard of men. They loved to have the chief places uh, at the feast. They, they loved to stand in the synagogues and do their prayers and do the same prayers just repeating just louder and louder so they could be heard by men. And Jesus particularly attacked this in Matthew 23, beginning in verse 25. He says to the Pharisees, he says, You cleanse the outside of the cup, but you don't clean the inside of the cup. He says, You're like that. Outwardly you appear beautiful, but inwardly you're all dirty. He says, First cleanse the inside of the cup. And then you'll understand how to clean the outside. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs that outwardly appear beautiful. But inwardly they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. He's just giving them a little warning there. And it's a good warning to us as well. Because it's so easy to, to just opt for the idea of appearing as if you're following God, but actually, God knows what's going on. It won't do for us to try to appear righteous and then have a lack of personal service, personal religion going on in our lives because God knows better. But it is a temptation for men to know deep down get, they don't have, they, they're lacking inside, they're lacking real service to God, and so they, they have a tendency to make, to make statements and, and to want to appear righteous. If we're going to be personal, we've got to understand this is a calling, not just a duty, and it, we need to approach this in a very sincere way because God knows all. Hebrews 4.15 says, you know, that all things are naked and laid open before His eyes. We understand that. 
In our personal approach or personal philosophy, another characteristic is his humility. Humility. We'll never serve, we'll never be personal if we feel out somehow we are superior in somehow some form or fashion. There are none of us superior in rank to anybody else. Jesus makes this clear in Matthew 23, once again, verse 8. He says, one is your teacher, and all of you are brethren. If we feel in some way or another that we're superior, we'll never try to help someone personally. We're not trying to impress anybody. We just want to reach people for Christ. And then another characteristic in this philosophy, this personal philosophy, is to be very, very focused. Very focused. Because our enemy are all the busy things that we can be doing. The enemy is all the busy things we could be doing. Now, I love Paul's prayer in Philippians 1 and verse 9. He, he prays that their love may abound in more and more in knowledge. And he also said, I want your love to abound in discernment. In other words, figuring out what things are most important. Approving those things which are excellent. We must be focused on those things which are most excellent, the things that are the will of God. There are so many good, busy things that can keep us from doing the right things. There are so many good, busy things that can keep us from doing the right things. And that's illustrated perfectly when Jesus gives us the Good Samaritan uh, parable. Because the Good Samaritan, the difference between the Good Samaritan and the priest and Levite is the Good Samaritan had a philosophy of personal interest in others. The priest and Levite were doing good things. We are sure they had things to do back at the temple, over at the temple. But they could not bring themselves to help the man who was in need. They were preoccupied probably with some good things. They were probably not... in. in Occupied with anything that would be immoral or anything that would be dirty or gross, but still they ended up being condemned by Jesus because they weren't focused enough, personally enough, to help that man who was injured. And so this personal philosophy, we've got to create it if we're going to be personal like God would have us to be. One other characteristic there, and that is you've got to be committed. Okay. So you've got to see it as a calling. You've got to be very sincere, very humble, very focused, and committed. And this may be the hardest part, because when you're personally involved with somebody's life trying to help, you know, it's not convenient. That's the thing about the Good Samaritan there. He, he was on a journey. He was on a journey. He wasn't just out looking for somebody to help, per se, that day. He had some other business. He was on a journey, if you read that, in Luke 10. He was on a journey. Like the priest and Levite, he had other things on his list. But in his philosophy of life, he said, when there's a need, I'm going to try my best to help. It's not convenient. And when we're trying to help somebody personally, you know, there's so many things. There's, there, there's broken hearts. 
there's lives lives have been broken apart by bad decisions. There, there's medical needs. There's there's so many needs personally that once you stop and try to help someone one on one, then it fills your life then with other things. And a lot of people are just not committed enough. They just say, "I don't. I just I'm not going to do that now." I'll pray for them, and I'll, I'll give at church as best I can, but I, I just am not going to stop and get personally involved. And we know why, because it's not convenient. But commitment is a big part of that. So first this, this morning, personal interest, and then a personal philosophy or a personal approach to life. But I want to, thinking about this word personal, I want us to think about it. Our personal relationship with God. In third place, our personal relationship with God. We need to know that God is, is personally interested in each of us. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is encouraging His disciples and He, he tells them, of course you're going to go among men who are going to want to kill you, but don't fear them. Fear not Him that can kill the body and after that He has no more He can do, but rather fear Him God, who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. But Jesus goes on to say, now, when a sparrow falls from the sky, God knows about that sparrow. And he looked to his disciples and said, are you not of much more value than a sparrow? Of course they are. God knows. God's interested in you. The very hairs of your head are numbered, he goes on to say there in Matthew 10. First, we need to know God is personally interested in our salvation. He wants the very best for each of us. You know, Jesus often talked about the man who had a hundred sheep and what would happen if one of them was going astray. Will he not leave the ninety-nine and go after, go into the mountains and search and search and search for the one who is going astray? Absolutely, he would do that. And absolutely, that represents the Father's love for each of us. We need to know God is very interested in each of us. And this also, think about our personal relationship with God. Jesus died for each of us. It's a personal matter. Hebrews 2 verse 9, By the grace of God, Jesus tasted death for every man. Every man. More than that, Galatians 2.20, Paul said, Jesus loved me and gave Himself up for me. And you can put your name in there too in Galatians 2 verse 20. That's what Paul was doing. Jesus loved me and gave Himself up for me. In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 11, Paul is dealing with how to treat one another, how to treat brothers and sisters, especially those who may be weak or just someone you're trying to, to work with. And he said, remember this, the Lord died for that brother. That brother you're praying for. That brother you're studying with. That brother you would like to see more at church. That brother who may get under your skin. First Corinthians 8-11, Paul said, Jesus died for that brother. Jesus died for you. He didn't just die for the world. He did. But He died for you. Put your name in there. Think about this too. The commands of God are very personal. When Peter gives the response, when, when people ask him the day of Pentecost, 
what shall we do about our sins? Peter responded in Acts 2 and 38, Repent ye and be baptized every one of you. Every one of you. God's commands are very personal. He tells us, and we are doing this today, He says our worship is very personal. He says every one of us ought to lay by in store as we give of our means. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. And when we obey God, then we are creating a relationship with Him that at least in God's mind is to be very personal. When you look at Jesus talking about the vine and the branches in John 15, and you read through those first few verses there, Jesus kept saying, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you, and you'll be able to bear much fruit. And he'll go on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If my word abides in you, then you'll be able to bear much fruit. That's, that's the way God looks at it. We're in Him and He is in us. We're listening to Him. His Word is in us and He is listening to us. It's a very personal relationship from God's point of view. You know, Psalm 23, the writer says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Is that how you look? At God, do you call him my God? It's what Jesus did when he was dying on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He has questions for God, but he didn't leave God. He's my God. My God. Philippians 4:19, Paul says, My God shall supply your every need. The Lord wants to have a personal relationship with him. He wants to abide in us and us in Him. We need to take this very personally. It begins right here in this personal relationship. No one else can be baptized for us. No one else can worship for us. No one else can serve us. No one else can bring our children up. God wants us to take it very personally. On that final day, according to Romans 14, 10 through 12, every one of us will give an account. Your brethren at church will not give an account in your behalf. We will each stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. It's, it is meant to be personal and the judgment will be personal. I think about Peter denied the Lord. And you remember that after he denied him that third time that somehow or another Jesus was able to look into the eyes of Peter. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I think that was good for Peter. I think that personal look from Christ. Peter was disappointed. He knew he had disappointed the Lord from that look, but he also, I think, could see and also remember a look of love from the eyes of Jesus. 
And as we close, I want us to consider personal time with God. Appreciate our, our men praying. We have men that really approach the Lord in prayer and lead us there, lead, lead us to the throne of God. Guys, the prayers we lead at worship, are, that, that is not our prayer life. Okay. Don't ever let that thought come into your mind. Your prayer life is what you do one-on-one with God. The instruction from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-21 is, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Our personal prayer life is not what we do in front of others. It's what we do with God. One-on-one. Personal time. We'll be talking more about this, but there's nothing like spending time with God in prayer and in reading His Word. We mentioned a passage in our Bible class this morning, Revelation 1 and verse 3. Blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy and who hear them and then keep them. The blessing is on those who read, who hear what they're reading, and then who do it in their life. Personal time. Here's what I wanted to accomplish this morning. Think about the idea of being personal. We need to have a personal interest with others. We need to have a personal approach to life. We need to consider and meditate upon and seriously reflect upon our personal relationship with God. And then finally here, to think more about personal time with God. Personal time. John chapter 1, I just, I got to mention this because I love it. John chapter 1, Andrew will eventually go find his brother, Peter, and bring him to Christ. Okay. But first, Andrew was been listening to John, the Baptist. And John had pointed out that Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so two disciples of John who heard him say this started following Jesus. One of those two was Andrew, if I'm reading it right. And they went to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, well, what, what's up? You know, what, what's your, what are you about? And they referred to him as rabbi. In other words, we, were, we know that you're the one. You're the one. And then they asked Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. Come and see. And the text tells us there in John 1 that it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, about the 10th hour. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so they got to stay with Jesus at least the rest of that day. And maybe they spent the night until the next morning. But at least, can you imagine being able to have one-on-one time with Jesus from 4 o'clock in the afternoon and the time you go to bed? Well... We can have that time all the time if we pray to Him and if we read His Word. In the book, The Wonder of His Word, the author by the name of Robert Sumner, I think, tells about a man who was involved in an explosion. It took away his eyesight and took away his arms. Could not see, could not feel, with it, had no hands. He began to hear about this braille, blind reading with the braille, being able to touch little bumps 
printed out that represents characters and represents letters. He'd been, but he heard about a lady who could do that with her lips. And so he, he was a Christian man, and so he, he was missing reading his Bible. And so he got a Braille Bible and started trying to do it with his lips, but the explosion had affected him in such a way that he could not feel with his lips. And so then he tried with his tongue, and he learned to read the Bible with his tongue. And he would read his Bible through four times a year with his tongue. He wanted that personal time with the Lord. If we can assist you with any spiritual need this morning, perhaps you're ready to obey the gospel. Perhaps you're ready to make Jesus the very personal Savior that He is. We invite you to come right now as we stand together, as we sing, Have I Decided.